Welcome to the Frontline Virtualist, a podcast from the team at the Center for Virtual Care, where we focus on the people who are leading the way through education, innovation, and research in the world of telemedicine. Subscribe to this podcast and get regular insights about the practice, trends, and future directions of this growing field from those working on the virtual front lines to realize its potential and its ability to transform healthcare delivery. On our first podcast, we're going to ask the question, what if we could take care of the sickest patients at home? What if, instead of cycling from the emergency department to admission to rehab center and back again, those with the highest burden of disease could stay in their own familiar environment, surrounded by family and loved ones? The potential of telemedicine to make this dream a reality is just one of the many ways healthcare delivery is being reimagined. And one of those people working on making this a reality is Dr. Brock Daniels. Brock Daniels is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Weill Cornell, and he's the medical director of the New York Presbyterian Hospital Community Teleparamedicine Program, or CTP for short. Brock completed his degree at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine and his residency training in emergency medicine at Yale New Haven Hospital. Additionally, Dr. Daniels completed a postdoctoral fellowship in quality, safety, and comparative effectiveness research at the University of California, Davis Center for Population Health Sciences. So Brock, I'm very excited to have you join us today and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Welcome. Thank you, Jonathan, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here and um, I'm really honored to be chosen for your inaugural podcast. (laughs) Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm really excited. You know, of all the programs that we do, this was the one that I wanted to do our inaugural discussion on first because I just think it's such an incredible program. I'm looking forward to sharing some more information with people on this podcast. Um, but let's begin by just getting a little, to know you a little bit more. You, you described yourself to me as an opportunistic implementational scientist, focusing on what is now more than what's next. Can, can you just tell us what you mean by that? <laughs> sure, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I kind of made that up. But, you know, I, I think it really describes um, translating the evidence-based interventions into real-world programs to improve the delivery of emergency care. And, and people often think a lot about, um, you know, what's next. Uh, they want to, you know, be the next Uber or they want to be the next Airbnb. Um, but there's a lot of really good evidence out there that if we combine it to figure out how to put it into, um, you know, a practical operational program, we can really improve care with those things. Um, and that's really what I try to focus my research. Um, and my um, operational uh, duties on. Yeah, I, I really love that concept of just leveraging what's out there and what we know already and then applying some design thinking to it and thinking how we can reimagine care with what we have. I just think that's a, it's a wonderful place to start. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's reflected very much in the community teleparamedicine program that you've developed. Uh, why don't you tell us what is the community teleparamedicine program? Sure. So, um, community telemedicine, or CTP, a little less of a mouthful, um, is it's a type of mobile integrated health, and um, mobile integrated health really leverages um, EMS services, um, and particularly EMTs and paramedics to deliver care um, at a higher level than than what they typically do. We usually think of paramedics as, um, you know, uh, driving ambulances. Um, they're they're taking patients, you know, from the scene to a hospital, bringing them usually to, you know, to doctors like you and I. But they really have a much um, larger skill set um, that that isn't often uh, employed. And so, community paramedicine has is, is been over the past 
decade or so really started um, to become fashionable, more so in rural areas where there's, there's a lot of limited um, providers available. Um, but it's a model that really tries to push paramedics to do more, um, to provide um, you know, care for chronic diseases, um, to provide care in you know, other settings such as mental health. Um, and we kind of build upon that, that idea of community paramedicine um, and add telemedicine into that. Um, and our program, what it really does is it, it finds patients who are high, utilize, high utilizers of our healthcare system and sends paramedics to the home. Um, we couple that with a telemedicine visit with an emergency physician. Um, and we really try to bring that same level of care that we provide in our emergency department to patients in their home um, with the idea of uh, you know, decreasing their, their preventable healthcare utilization. Yeah, so I should say full disclosure that I am one of the physicians who actually works um, on the front lines in this program, uh, and I'm you know very very thankful that you asked me to join it because I enjoy working and doing these shifts a great deal. Um, but what I will say too is I just love you know the 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 pre-hospital paramedic uh, sort of part of it, and I think you know as emergency physicians, you and I, we spend a lot of time with pre-hospital providers, and I think uh, a lot of the experienced ones have an incredible amount of skill, yeah. uh, and they do a really hard job. Um, and so I think, you know, I think that they, from my experience, they get the ones who are doing this are getting a great deal of satisfaction out of it. Uh, they seem to really enjoy, instead of just, you know, being the guy, the people who just pick people up and transport them, right? They're actually caring for their patients uh, in, a, in, a, in a very meaningful way. Um, has that been your experience? Oh, totally. And you know, I, I, I tell people when they ask us why is our program so successful, I really say it's the paramedics. Um, and, and you know, we often get questions of why use paramedics instead of you know nurses or PAs or other providers that we could send to the home. Um, and the paramedics make this program work for several reasons. It's not only in their skill set. Um, but it's also that you know they are trusted members of the community. Um, they're much closer to the community in many ways than than some other provider types. Um, and you know they're they're used to going into homes. Um, they're used to dealing with you know a whole variety of situations. I mean you know paramedics can really do everything from you know intubations to air conditioner maintenance, right? I mean, the, the, the list of things that they have to deal with when they get in the home, particularly in the types of patients um, with multiple comorbidities, um, many you know, social determinants of health, which, which are, they're dealing with, um, the medics know how to, to handle a lot of these things. And they really become, you know, in some ways, part of these. They're already part of the community. They start to become part of these um, patients' families in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, we, 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 we try to see patients um, for as long as we need to see them in our program, because obviously it's a limited resource. Um, and we've certainly had episodes where we're like, okay, we've done so well, we've, you know, we've, we've been seeing you for three months and really been able to you know, prove your care, get you to your appointments, uh, manage your medications, you're, you're good, we've, you know, we've done a whole bunch of education. Um, we're trying to, you know, get you to, to we've, we've gotten to the point where you can take care of yourself and, and we're like, so you, we don't need to come see you anymore. And, you know, the patients are like, oh, no, no, I'm going to, I'll stop taking my medications, you know, if the medic stops showing up at my house, because they just, they really become to depend on the program in some ways, um, and, and they become such a part of their care team, um, that, that they're really what, what make this program um, as successful as it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I, I call in, you know, the paramedics go in first, uh, and they do their vitals and do their exam and evaluation and, and get all the medications together, and but by the time I get on for the telemedicine part, 
you know, they've been there, if they've been there a couple of times, they're already part of the family, they're hanging out, they're having conversations with the daughter and the husband or wife, and, yeah. uh, and it's really, actually, really incredible to see. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful experience, actually, to see that level of connection with providers uh, in the home like that. I, I, I'm actually really just enjoy being part of, being a fly on the wall sometimes, and just being part of those visits, um, even though I'm there to provide, you know, a lo another level of care. Um, so why don't we get into the nitty-gritty a little bit more about the just the nuts and bolts so tell me how does this program work sure so we it has basically three steps to it um, we think about it in terms of identification of high-risk patients who we think are most likely to benefit from the program um, early activation is the second step of that process and then um, in-home mitigation is sort of the third the third part of that. And I'll, I'll kind of describe those in a little bit of detail. So the identification part here I think is really important because this program is, is, is a method of population health. So we're trying to enroll a cohort of patients um, that changes over time um, that will really benefit from this intervention. So um, we get them from referrals from their doctors. So they're, you know, heart, heart, heart failure specialists um, will refer patients to us that they're concerned about. Um, we focus a lot on post-discharge care, so patients who are frequently admitted to the hospital will enroll in our program. Um, but we also use um, data analytics um, to identify populations who have um, a high degree of preventable healthcare utilization. Um, those are claims-based algorithms who will send us patients uh, as well that we enroll in this program. So once we have that cohort of patients, we give them access to this program. But um, unlike, say, 911, we're not just giving access to the program to the patients. The, um, the patient's family members have access to the program. Their providers have access to the program. And we also have dedicated care managers who follow this, this population pretty closely and so the goal then is to um, you know activate our program before they they really get to a point where they show up in our emergency department and, and to me that's what this program grew out of and I, I know it's, it's the same for you is that we you know we see these patients who you know come in that were like if I saw this patient three days ago um, and I was able to do something then um, not only would I probably not have to admit them to the hospital I probably could have kept them out of our emergency department as well um, and so by having these care managers and these multiple points of activation of our program um, we can kind of get to those program get to those patients before they really get to a point where they need to come into the emergency department yeah I, I you know I think um, being emergency physicians we see oftentimes this uh, I wouldn't say failure but but you know, we can use the word failure. The failure of the, of the current sort of status quo and, and the system to kind of keep people out of the hospital. Um, and I, I think that, I'm, I gotta think of multiple times during a shift in the ER, if, you know, if only, right? right? If only they hadn't run out of their medications, if only they'd been able to check in with their doctor. All of these things that I, you know, um, that I think uh, are really about a, a desire and a wish for better preventative health. Um, and so, uh, you know, you've come up with a really interesting concept, this sort of idea of preventative emergency medicine. Uh, and I, I love that concept, so I just wanted you to, to maybe describe it a little bit more. What is it? Yeah, again, it's, it seems a little um, odd to say that, because um, as, as emergency doctors, we're, we're really trained to deal with stuff after it happens, right? Um, we, we are trained to deal with um, what comes in the, whatever comes in the door. And, you know, to me, uh, there's not a lot I can do about a car accident um, once it happens, right? Um, there, there's not, I can't, I can't go back and prevent that. 
Um, but a lot of these heart failure patients that come in, um, which is one of the large um, populations that we, we see in our program, you know, if I can, if I could go back and, um, you know, refill that prescription, um, if I could find them when they were, you know, had gained, you know, five pounds instead of 10 pounds of, of water weight um, and, and done some intervention in their home, I can prevent that emergency department visit, right? Um, and, and that's really the idea of preventive emergency medicine is, is using the things that we, we know cause um, readmissions or cause preventable emergency department visits and, and kind of taking that a couple days back and, and using our, our kind of knowledge and ability to predict what we know is gonna happen um, to, to intervene early. Yeah, at first when I heard this term, I, I, it seemed a little bit out in left field for me. I didn't quite understand the concept. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized we, we actually do that all the time in the emergency department when we're resuscitating a very sick patient. You know, an experienced physician is really thinking two or three steps ahead, trying to, you know, you, you never want to get behind the eight ball with a patient, you know, where you don't, where you don't haven't planned for a, an eventuality. Um, and, and this, this really just seems like an extension of that in some ways. If we could just kind of think of ways that we could we could get a little bit of a, a little bit ahead, we might be able to sort of uh, short circuit or stave off some of the worst events that our patients experiences that prompt them to come to the emergency department in the first place. Completely, and you know that's that's part of the not only identifying that high risk population, but putting, and, and this is where our program maybe differs from, from some other um, community paramedicine programs, is that we, you know, we bundle in um, this care management aspect of it. And by having people who are actively managing the patients, and, and our care managers are wonderful. Um, they're very experienced, um, you know, nurses who have, uh, you know, a great deal of um, uh, experience both in care management and care coordination and they're the ones who are really deciding you know where do we use this resource um, they're the ones following up on those patients and 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 identifying um, those ones who are in trouble um, and, and, and their experience has really made um, made a great difference when we added them into our program um, I think it really allowed us to to see those those sickest um, most um, you know, patients who are kind of reaching that, that danger point. And, and, and what we found is we, we track how many interventions that we actually do. And, you know, what we're finding that is, is you know, over the years, we, we now are probably, you know, somewhere between 25 to a third of our patients um, uh, in home visits have some active intervention, whether it's giving IV medication or uh, prescribing a medication or, or making a consult. You know, we, we're, we're really getting in there and actually doing something when we go yeah, I think I think it's really important. You know, the 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 the, the paramedics in the home uh, with the telemedicine visit is one aspect of it, but it really is a sort of an interdisciplinary, sort of layered approach to this preventative emergency health uh, that I think really makes the program much more effective. Um, and so, how, tell me, how long has this program been running now? So we started it back in uh, 2017. Um, it was sort of started as a, as a pilot study that we were, um, you know, running essentially like one day a week, um, and then in April 2019 we actually expanded it to, um, you know, 40 hour per week program, having dedicated medics, um, dedicated care managers. Um, we now have about 17 emergency physicians who do dedicated shifts, um, you know, um, providing, uh, you know, the oversight to the medics uh, virtually. Um, and so the you know the program's really kind of grown over the last two years, and we're we're really trying to expand this to um, you know a seven day a week program um, with with really you know twenty four hour coverage is, is our long term goal for this. 
Yeah, I think you know its natural evolution and growth is kind of a testimony, I think, to its 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 success. I, I would love to hear a little bit about now that you've got you know three years under your belt here, a little bit more. What have you learned? A lot. Um, but if I had to narrow it down to to one or two big picture lessons, um, you know, it would be these. You know, first, the, the COVID nineteen pandemic demonstrated that you know virtual care is is, is essential, um, and, and importantly, it's it's here to stay. You know, I, I firmly believe the proportion of care that can be safely and effectively delivered outside the brick and mortar um, hospitals will, will continue to decrease. Uh, you know, we're not we're not going back on that, um, and this really cuts across all types of care, um, and, and including emergency care. Um, one thing I think is important, though, is that you know we need to be thoughtful about how virtual care can really augment in-person care. So, you know, again, this is a program that that very much focuses on you know the telemedicine aspect of it and, and providing virtual care. But we have the paramedics there, right? Um, and they're there for a reason. Um, and kind of as I talked about previously, you know, they provide a very um, significant important part of this program. Um, and, you know, when we think about, you know, all these other, you know, great tech interventions like Amazon and, and Uber and Airbnb, you know, they've, they've changed the way that we read or that we travel or the way that we get around. Um, but, you know, again, bookstores and yellow cabs aren't going anywhere if, you, you know, if you've been in New York. And, and we have to think about that um, as, we, as we develop these programs. And so having that, that, that component of in-person care, of having those medics there to be able to be our hands on the other side of the screen, I think is a very key part um, of this program. Medicine's a human interaction, right? And I, I, I don't think ultimately that's going to change. Yeah, I think those are great points, Brock. I mean, I've, I've been doing telemedicine with, uh, for a while now, and one of the things that I, I've really felt is that uh, that um, just because we can do it doesn't mean that it's going to be effective. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of, it's a, it's a new clinical space. It's a new clinical environment. And, and I've really had to learn a bunch of new skills to make it effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, some of that was trial by fire as we were on the front lines during COVID here in New York City, uh, trying to manage all these patients from, from virtually from home. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned, I think, is really important too, is that it doesn't, it doesn't live, it's not either or. It doesn't, it's and also, right? right? right. It doesn't live in isolation. And, and, and I think it's that, that intersection between the virtual space and the physical space in clinical care and how we integrate them and how we think about designing them together that really is going to leverage more potential. And that's kind of what I see you know, in the CTP program is that kind of that, that, that design thinking and that integration of the two spaces to work effectively together. Um, and, and I think that's really an, an, a hugely important lesson for anybody who's working on their own programs is to not think of it as either or, but really how you, put, how you bring them together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think those are really great lessons. Um, I, you know, I was curious when you started the program, I was wondering, you know, why do you use paramedics and not nurses or even PAs to do these home visits? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, the main thing I think for them is that they, they are part of the community um, and they're a trusted part of the community. Um, and that really allows them to, I think, deal with many of the social determinant issues that may be underlying um, or driving the preventable health care that, that these patients are um, experiencing. Um, you know, and they're, they're also comfortable being in the home, right? I mean, they're, they're used to going into situations where there's a lot of uncertainties, where um, it may be unsafe, um, and their, their comfort level with, with that is, is you know, something that I think a lot of other types of providers don't necessarily have. Um, they also have the trucks already, so that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and, I, you know, 
for me, when I when I work with the medics, um, their their clinical experience really allows me as a you know provider on the other side of the screen to trust what they're telling me. So I trust their lung exam. I trust that they know this patient. They know there's something not right about it. Um, and 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 that to me has been invaluable. Um, and I think it really allows us to you know to do this higher acuity. Uh, care um, that is probably not typically what we think about doing with with telehealth, right? Um, these are these are very sick patients. They're you know heart failure patients with you know very low ejection fractions. They're home on you know milrinone drips uh, through central lines, and you know we're going in and, and managing their volume status. And um, you know I, I think we could probably agree that you know if we were, I was trying to do that without having those paramedics in the room and having their experience, um, I'd be a little less comfortable doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I was I was doing a shift the other day, and I had a patient who was volume overloaded who needed IV Lasix, and you know the patient got a little woozy and vasovagal a little bit while we were giving it, and you know I wasn't sure if he was going to completely syncopize, but those those guys were on it. They were they were like, all right, we're putting him down. We got the head. They, you know, I felt so comfortable with them there, and uh, you know, at first I, I'd never worked with paramedics in you know interacted with them in this sort of environment before and it was new for me but I, I can say the experience has really only been positive and I've really enjoyed I've actually really enjoyed the experience working with them um, in this manner um, in a way that is very different from the, the, the typical routine with them at least from an emergency department perspective um, but I guess that brings me to another question too uh, about providers is uh, if we're managing chronic diseases like heart failure and COP, why are we using ER docs? Why, why not heart failure specialists or pulmonologists to, uh, to manage these patients via telemedicine? Yeah, I, I get that question a lot. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways I can answer that question. Um, but, you know, the main thing is, as emergency physicians, um, you know, we're available, we're adaptable, and, you know, I think we're, we're amiable as well. Um, and this type of care really fits in well with what we're, we're trained to do. Um, and, you know, this, this program is, is, again, it's unscheduled acute care. Um, and so you need to be available during weekends, holidays, evenings, right? Um, you know, and a lot of these specialists just you know, their training, their business model, their practices, you know, it, it's not easy for them to be available to, to do this type of care. They have clinics, they need to be in the OR, what have you. Um, and so it just doesn't fit well into their practice. And, 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 and you know, they, they are moving more towards providing routine care with telemedicine, and I think that's certainly um, the trend moving forward. But I think for them to provide this type of acute unscheduled care, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as an emergency physician who joined the, this program and has started seeing these patients, I will say I felt a little bit pushed outside of my comfort zone, mm. um, but that quickly went away. And then I started to also see, I mean, I enjoyed l learning another aspect of care. Um, and it was great that I had, you know, a lot of the pulmonologists and these doctor specialists available as backup, right. uh, um, uh, which, was, which is also a nice part of the program, uh, is they're there usually if you need them to ask them a question. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, what I sort of quickly realized, too, is our skills of just kind of being able to manage anything came in, comes in really handy because suddenly you arrive in this space in someone's house and it, it, there's a whole bunch of other issues going on right. that are not related to anything related to their, to their care but impact the quality of their care ultimately. And then so being able to address those things effectively, I found, felt really comfortable to me, felt right in my wheelhouse because, you know, patients who show up, we don't pick our patients in the emergency department, they right. show up and they... They, they have as many problems as they want to have, uh, and these patients are no different. 
Uh, and so I found it, uh, I found it very reassuring that <clears throat> a lot of my training were, fit very well into this program, and I quickly jumped in and felt very comfortable with it. Yeah, you know, that's the idea of being adaptable, right? Um, and I think that, you know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, um, you know, most of our patients have multiple comorbidities. And, and, you know, if you're a heart failure specialist or you're a pulmonologist, you may not be comfortable dealing with their diabetes. And uh, you may not be comfortable fixing their BiPAP machine, right? Um, and these are the sort of things that we don't really know what the issue is going to be when, when we show up. And so, um, and, and, you know, again, that's what we do in the emergency department too, right? You know, we, we know when to ask for help. Um, right. and, and being that kind of collegial collaborative care is something that we're very good at. Um, and you know, I think one of the big aspects of our program is that we really try to integrate care and we do that through our electronic health record. Um, you know, and and there's, it's very easy when you have built all these relationships um, with these different providers. Um, you know, the same people that we consult when the patients come to the ED are the same patients um, that we're taking care of at home. So you know, I know that I can send a secure message to one of the heart failure doctors and say, hey, you know, Mr. So-and-so is not looking pretty good. Um, you know, I'm going to give him some IV Lasix. I'm going to go up on his, you know, diuretic regimen. Um, and, you know, again, that, that aspect of increasing care coordination and sort of being, um, you know, being that person there uh, dealing with the acute issue, asking for help when you need it, um, but kind of being able to take care of whatever's on the, the other side of that camera, I think, is important. Yeah. Uh, I will say too, just from my own experience, is that <clears throat> when they do come to the emergency department, I actually feel much more comfortable taking care of these patients now yeah. than I ever did before, because I know what their life is like at home. I know how I know how much they get managed at home, and I think it actually makes me a better emergency physician when I see them in person, because I I know which ones have to stay and which ones could actually maybe go home from the emergency department. Um, um, and another aspect of it, I thought was thinking of just as you were talking, was you know the, a lot of these patients sometimes you know they're frail their fall risks. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to evaluate, say, a head strike or, or a big contusion on an elbow or an ankle or a knee and have to make a clinical decision about whether or not uh, they need to be, you know, driven into the emergency department for x-rays or a CT scan. And I feel like, you know, that falls right again yeah. into our wheelhouse as emergency physicians. You know, we're, you know, minor traumas, fall from standing, falling in the bathtub. These are things we see all day long, every day, and we risk gratify these patients, and we make clinical decisions about what level of care they need all the time. And we're doing that in the home now with them. Right, yeah. And again, having the medics there, I think, is, is a key part of that. Um, and, you know, again, not everyone is comfortable doing that. Um, and, and there's definitely been a lot of, you know, cases where, you know, even you and I as working as ER doctors, you know, we see those patients coming in, right? You know, they were like, oh, I did a video visit with my patient at home and they fell and hit their head and their primary care doctor sends them into us, right? Yeah. Um, so again, I, that, that ability to just adapt and to do whatever, uh, whatever we find on the other end of that visit, I think is important. Yeah. Well, I think I, I'm, I think we've covered a lot of information so far. I, I've learned a lot already just talking to you. But let's jump into the future. Sure. Um, how is this? How is this move us forward, and and how we deliver care? Did you do you see a direction for this? I do. I, I, care is definitely moving beyond the four walls of the hospital. And you know, I think what makes a good care model now um, is anything which sort of addresses that quadruple aim, right? Um, and the idea of improving population health, um, improving the experience of care for individual patients, and then trying to do so, um, you know, at, at less cost per patient. And, and then with also that added thing that, we, that we're learning is that taking care of our providers as well. Um, and I think any program which can really, you know, 
achieve those four goals is um, is is what the healthcare system more broadly is heading towards, and I feel like community telemedicine does that sort of achieves all four of those those aims. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they're predicting a surplus of emergency physicians in the coming years, um, and I think this 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 new model that you're discussing, you know, begs the question: what What is the future going to look like, and how is how are we going to adapt to that future? Yeah, I I think emergency physicians are 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 well suited for some of the reasons that we talked about. Um, you know for virtual care being a area of growth for our specialty. Um, you know, again, we're available. Um, emergency physicians, there's, there's one in the hospital 24-7. Um, so to be able to do this unscheduled acute care and to do it virtually um, is, is gonna be key um, for our specialty. The ability to be able to, you know, deal with any situation, again, we don't know, when you turn on that camera, you don't know what's on the other side of the camera. And um, being used to that and comfortable with that, I, I think is, is very important. Um, and, and we've kind of demonstrated, again, that, that we can provide a higher level of care um, than I think what has been traditionally thought of in, in, in using virtual care for. And that, that, is, um, that is something that as an emergency physician, uh, we, we need to become more comfortable with, I, I think, is, you know, having that, that, that sicker patient on the other side of that screen um, and what we can safely do to manage them there. Yeah, I, I think this, you know, the CTP program for me has really expanded my, my imagination of what's possible. Um, and I only see it going forward from here. And I imagine emergency physicians growing into this space uh, e really well, easily. And uh, I see, you know, you know, I see hybrid practices, even like myself, where I, you know, I spend a couple of days in person in the emergency department, but I'm also taking care of really sick patients remotely uh, with uh, some sort of coordination team that has an on-the-ground component as well as the ability to order testing and labs and imaging, let's say, in coordination with care managers and specialty providers uh, all, all remotely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I see that world coming. Uh, and I, I, I'm looking forward to it, actually, because every time a program like this comes along where I realize I can do a lot more than I ever thought possible remotely, it really makes me think that, oh, well, what's next? Right. Um, so, so I'm excited. This program, it was great to talk to you, Brock. Uh, this is an incredible program, um, and I look forward to seeing it grow and expand. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your energy and your time with us today. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.